Uh, but hey, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you guys haven't been with us in the last few weeks, we've been going through a study through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've kind of been just taking the time to just break apart Jesus' sermon. He was teaching his disciples and those that were interested in following him what it would look like to live, to talk, and to act like their Father in heaven. And what he's been doing uh, as we've been kind of unpacking it is we've been learning that Jesus really wanted to address how there were some teachings that were misunderstood and being missed, misused or mispracticed. And so what he did was he kind of addressed the different commands. Like we looked at how we looked at like thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now Jesus was trying to address not necessarily the actions of hatred or the actions of adultery, but he was also addressing the heart of those things. And now we're here and we're going to go into chapter 6. Pastor Gary kind of began that process last week as we looked at giving. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to start to unpack some of the practices and some of the habits of those that will consider themselves believers or disciples. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the idea of prayer. And man, I think prayer is one of the best things that we have given to us from God. And yet I think it's really misunderstood. You know, at the heart of prayer, prayer is just simply a conversation, a spiritual conversation, a direct line that we've been given to converse with God. And yet that conversation with God has kind of taken all sorts of shapes and forms. And so what I wanted to do real quickly is just kind of clarify what prayer isn't. You know, when we talk with God, it shouldn't look like a business transaction where we're talking with God and we're trying to create handshake deals in order to figure out or negotiate things on our behalf, right? But also prayer shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like God being in a magic genie bottle where we, if we rub it the right way or if we say the right things, then God will come out and he will answer our prayers. Also what prayer isn't, it isn't like writing a letter to Santa Claus where we tell him just the things that we want. And Santa responds based if we are naughty or we're nice. And what prayer isn't, prayer isn't just us having a one-sided conversation where we're just simply talking, 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 talking at God, telling him what we want and just giving him a list of things to do for us and then leaving. But it's supposed to be a conversation. And what Jesus does here in the chapters that we're going to study or in these verses that we're going to study here today is to, he tries to bring clarification to this habit of prayer and what it's really supposed to look like and the power behind it. And so before we jump into the actual scriptures, could we take a moment and just really talk with God and ask for his help? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this gift of being able to converse with you. God, I pray that after today, many people will understand it more and practice it more, God, with their proper intentions and God, in the ways that you desire. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to understand what prayer is, but also what prayer isn't? God, so that when we do communicate with you, it will be a blessing to you. And God, we will be able to really experience its great power and reward. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as a pastor here, I've been at South Bay Community Church now for nearly 15 years. And I've had the privilege and the honor of working with junior hires and high schoolers during most of my time here. But recently, I've been kind of transitioning and taking on more more responsibilities in the care role of a pastor. And so what I've been trying to do is I've been meeting with those that may need a little bit of pastoral counseling. 
I've been meeting with those that may have lost a loved one and performing more funerals. I've also had the privilege of walking alongside, of cu- alongside couples, whether they're married or they're about to get married, do premarital with them. And one of the things that I always talk about when it concerns couples is that there is a key to relationships that we want every couple to understand. And that key to relationships is communication. Because see, if your communication is off, if you guys aren't really talking to one another, hearing each other and understanding one another, there's going to be a great deal of conflict and struggle. And so with that in mind, I think this is why Jesus wants to bring up this idea of prayer and doing it the right way because it's our way of communicating with God. And see, I don't know if you guys see this or not or have understood this, and I think I've been guilty of teaching this as well, but sometimes we think that there is no wrong way to pray. Well, Jesus actually says there is. Take a look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. If you guys have your Bibles, I hope that you guys would meet me there. If not, you guys could follow along in your Baywatch. In there, there should be a handout that you could follow along with. Or you can open up your app and, of course, follow along there as well. And we'll also have the verses up here if you want to just take a look. But this is what Jesus says here in verse 5. He says, and when you pray... So the first thing we want to take a look at is that Jesus assumes that his people are praying. But Jesus really wanted to take a moment to dig into prayer, to clarify what it is and what it should look like, because people were doing it in ways that were wrong in his eyes. They were doing it with the wrong intentions, and because of that, they weren't truly experiencing the gift of prayer and its reward. So take a look what Jesus says here. He says, this is how you shouldn't pray, okay? So there is ways that we shouldn't pray. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. Continuing on in verse 5, he says, You must not, you must not. Those are very powerful words from Jesus. He is very clear that this is a way that we should not lift up our conversation to the Lord. He says, You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. See, if you guys unpack this verse with me, I think the key thing that Jesus is teaching us is this. He wants to, us to pray in a certain way. And will you write this down as your first point? Jesus wants us to pray like this. To be seen by God, not by people. To be seen by God and not by people. See, when we pray, I really believe that we should seek the audience of our Father in heaven, not of men. And what Jesus is addressing was that there were people, when they prayed, they weren't praying with the focus and the attention of pointing their prayers to God. No, their attention and their focus instead was on the people around them. Jesus wasn't taking this time to say that public prayer was bad. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I love this because now I don't ever have to pray in public. Jesus says, go pray privately. No, I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to address here. Because many, many times throughout scripture, we hear from God and we hear from others. We hear from Christ himself that we are to pray corporately and together with other believers and for other people. But what I believe Jesus is trying to address, he's trying to address the heart of people when it concerns prayer. Because what people were doing was they were focusing not on God and directing their conversation to him. They were more focused on the people around them. 
And see, this is what a lot of religious leaders were doing at the time. And so Jesus was calling them out. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites. I don't know if you guys were here last week, but Pastor Gary kind of unpacked that word for us. The word hypocrites in the Greek, in its original language, it's the same word that is used for the word actor as well, or performer. And so what he's saying here is, Jesus is saying, don't pray like a performer. Don't pray like an actor. Don't pray so that you could be heard by other people, so that they could praise you, they could adore you, they could take note and say, man, you are holy. You are amazing. You are really religious. No, what Jesus is trying to imply is that we should go and go off in secret. Go personally and intentionally seeking out not the attention of men, but the attention of our God. And that we should try to pray with the intention of having a personal conversation with our Lord. And not to perform for others. See, the heart of it is is this. We don't pray to impress and amaze people. And for their attention and for their applause, we don't pray to be heard by them. We pray so that, man, we can direct our conversations to our Lord. That's what prayer is for, and that's what prayer is about. And so I want to take a moment just to challenge us here today, church, because I know that there are some of us that struggle with praying. And we struggle with praying, especially in public, in our small groups or our life groups or in a public setting. And I understand that. And you might want to use these verses as reasons why you don't need to do it. But there are, again, many occasions where Jesus said that this is appropriate. And that you would be not concerned with how you sound in front of other people, but that you would be more concerned with directing your heart and your conversation to the Lord. See, this is something I fall guilty of still. Even as a pastor, you would think I know better, but I don't. Recently, just this past week, actually, we had a great opportunity to visit one of our members here, Janice Nee. As many of you guys know her, she's been a longtime member of South Bay Community Church, served here as one of our ushers, and she's just been part of our family. But unfortunately, a few months ago, she suffered a massive stroke. And right now, she's currently on the road to recovery, and she's in a facility here and locally in the South Bay where she's having care and rehabilitation. And man, I want to tell you, she looks great. She looks awesome. She was up and alert. She was having conversation with us. She was even making jokes about Pastor Dave and his age. And and so you knew that she was right there. And she was eating. We were having lunch. And it was just a great time of fellowship. And just to be with her and to have our spirits lifted high as we saw our friend doing so well. But when our time was coming to a close, Pastor Gary said, hey, why don't we get together? And, And let's pray for Janice. And let's continue to lift her up to the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, my first thought wasn't like, yes, let's do this. Let's go and let's pray for Janice because I have all these things that I just want to lift up to the Lord on her behalf. No, my first thought was like, oh man, I better be one of the first ones to pray, right? Because Pastor Gary said, hey, I'm going to just leave it open. Anybody can jump in and I'll take the time to close. And I was like, okay, if he's going to close, then I want to be the first one to pray. Why? Because... I was concerned about being the person that prays in the middle that just kind of repeats everyone else's prayers. I was also thinking, man, you know, I'm here in the midst of our staff, and there's Pastor Dave, and there's Pastor Gary, and Pastor Caleb, you know, even some of the other people on our staff, like Teacher Lillian, and I was like, man, they pray so nicely, and they pray so well. I want to pray before them. I want to set the bar low, <laughs> right? And so we got together, and we were about to pray. And then I, I think it was Pastor Dave. He just jumps right in. And I was like, no. 
And I was like half listening to his prayer, but also half thinking to myself, oh man, I was going to say that. Oh no, what am I going to say? Oh, what should I say? Man, maybe I shouldn't pray. You know what? I'm not going to pray. And that became what consumed my thoughts. And if I think about it, man, that's directly what Jesus was teaching against. That we wouldn't be there so concerned with other people and performing for them or having them hear our prayers. What I should have been concerned with was with the opportunity to engage my father in heaven and lift up my sister Janice. But I was too concerned with being repetitive. I was too concerned about not saying things as nicely as other people. And so I didn't offer up my prayer. See, our, our prayers shouldn't be about a performance to be heard by others. It should be about being heard by our Father in heaven. You know, and, and speaking of performance, I don't know if you guys know of this guy, but his name is Sai, and he is a musical sensation in Korea, but he also took the nation and the world by storm with one of his songs, Gangnam Style. Right, and I don't know if you guys know, but there was a dance, you know, I'm not going to stop there because I don't want to embarrass myself or my wife. But um, he, he did this dance, and he was on all sorts of talk shows, all over social media, on the internet. He, he was just famous for this dance and for this song. And I saw many of my friends, many of my family also singing along and dancing along. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. But also, there was another thought that crossed my mind. I was thinking hey, some of you guys aren't Korean, and you don't know what he's saying. So why are you screaming, oh, oppa, Gangnam style? Do you even know what that means? You're saying, like, older brother, I have Gangnam style. I don't even know what Gangnam means. Like, what is that? And then I, I looked it up, and I realized it's a place in Korea where there was wealthy people. So basically, this guy was implying that he's a big brother, and he, he's from this wealthy place, and he has a style of this wealthy place. But I, I just was baffled because there were so many people that were dancing and singing to this song and they didn't know the words at all that they were singing and see just like just like many of my friends were singing things that they didn't understand or mean i think a lot of us when we pray we do the same thing and jesus wanted to address that as well take a look matthew chapter 6 and the following verses 7 and 8 he says and when you pray Again, assuming that we pray, he says, do not, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do or the non-Christians do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so one of the first parts that I want to unpack for us today in this set of verses is this. I believe Jesus is trying to teach us how to pray like this. We write this next point down. Pray with thoughtful words, not thoughtless sayings. Pray with thoughtful words and not thoughtless sayings. Know what you're praying and mean what you're praying. Don't just say things because they sound good. Don't just say things because that's what you've been taught. Don't just say things out of tradition and memory, but our words, our words should be spoken sincerely and thoughtfully and meaningfully from our heart. See, the non-Christians, the Gentiles, as Jesus referred to, they were offering up empty phrases. Because when they prayed a lot of times, they didn't know what they were praying. They were just following tradition, following what other people had been doing. And, and they were even lifting up thoughtless words to their gods, small g gods. Because they learned it from other people. And in the same way, I believe Jesus is saying, hey, 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 hey. 
Guys, when you pray, don't just say things because that's what you heard. Really know the things that you're saying. Because if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us sometimes we just pray on autopilot? We, we don't even think about some of the words that we say. And in doing so, we probably lift up a lot of empty words. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I was talking to Pastor Gary about this saying right here. And, and I really appreciated what he taught me in regards to empty words because he, he said that a long time ago, he learned that he should be really meaning, meaningful and thoughtful in the words that he says when he prays for someone. And he said, let me just show you an example, James. He's like, so James, if you're running a marathon, you know, I might send you a text and I learned, I'm not going to pray that God be with you. And I'm like, why, Pastor Gary? That sounds so good. I want God with me. He said, because James, I know as a believer, God is already with you. I don't need to ask him to do that. And so instead, what I will send to you as a prayer is probably something more like this. I'll pray, dear God, I pray that you would help James feel and understand and see that you are with him every step that he takes. And see, I really appreciated that from Pastor Gary because I understood that means that when he really takes the time to pray for me, he's really thoughtful in the words that he's saying, that he's really careful in the words that he chooses, that he doesn't want to just say something because it sounds nice, but he wants to say what is actually meaningful and purposeful and intentional. See, for many of us, we lift up things without even any consideration for what they mean. Things that are good, but things that maybe we haven't even really thought through. For instance, some words that come to mind for me when I was thinking about this was like words or phrases like praying for a hedge of protection. We sometimes pray that, and that sounds really good. I've heard it from many people, but you know what? I stopped and I paused. I was like, what does that actually mean? Hedge of protection? Like when I think of hedges, I think of bushes. Like I'm asking God to provide bushes over me or bushes over people as protection. I think there's a lot of better things that we can ask God to use to protect us. But then I, I thought about it, and, and I realized, you know, the many psalmists that would usually use this phrase were oftentimes out in the wilderness, running away from their pursuers, asking God to use different things to enclose them and protect them. But yet, how many of us just simply say that because it sounds so righteous and sounds so good? But we've never really given any thought about that. Or even a, a phrase like praying for traveling mercies. That sounds really biblical, right? When in reality, nowhere in the Bible is that phrase ever used. I mean, it's a good phrase. We want to pray for protection. We want to pray that God would provide somebody mercies as they go about on their journey. But how easily do we pray something like that and not even think about what that really means and where that came from? See, what I'm trying to address isn't that these words are bad, but that we would really consider the thought behind these words. And they, would, again, would be more thoughtful and not just said out of repetition or out of something that we've learned, but that we would really mean it. I challenge you, the next time you pray, think about the words that are starting to come out of your mouth and how much of it just comes out without even any thought. You know, one of our high school students challenged me in this. Recently, we gave an opportunity to many of our seniors to share, and one of the things that our seniors shared was that we sometimes pray we sometimes pray by using the Lord's name as a period. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? I was like, this is why I shouldn't let teenagers talk up on stage. But then he went on to explain, and he said, 
you know, when we pray, we might say, like, dear Lord, thank you for this food, Jesus. Thank you for this food, God. You are so good, Lord. I'm so thankful for all that you do, God. And yeah, I was like, oh, my God, I do that, right? And, and the next time I prayed, I was really conscious of that. And I was like, oh, wow, I do use God's name so often as a period or as an um or as a way to break up the prayer. And now I'm just trying to be more mindful of that. And that's the thing I believe Jesus is trying to do here in challenging us with teaching us how to pray like this, that we will pause and not just say empty phrases and things that we have just heard and learned, but that we would really be intentional about the things that come out of our mouth. You know, I think about it even in worship, we sometimes do that. Sometimes we sing songs and we don't even think about the things that we're lifting up to the Lord as prayers. I mean, there was one song that has been really powerful in just this idea of my eyes being open to really take the time to listen to the lyrics but also question and ask, am I really ready to lift this up? You know, there's this song called Oceans, and there's a part in the bridge that says these words. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and may my faith, my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I remember one time at a retreat with our youth, there were like, you know, 80, 90, 100 kids lifting up their hands and crying this part of the song out. And I was blown away and I was so encouraged. I found myself doing the same thing. And yet, there was a moment that God just kind of struck me with the realization, do these students, James, do you even mean the words that you're currently singing? Or are you just caught up in the catchy tune? Or are you just caught up in the emotion of the evening? Are you really thinking about the words that are coming out of your mouth? Are you really asking me to trust you? Trust him, right? To trust him and take us where we don't want to go. Are we really asking God to lead us to deeper, darker waters where there is no light and there are things that are scary and things that we really aren't aware of? Like, is that really what we want God to do? And yet all of us are singing it, lifting up our hands, declaring it, but have we really thought about it? In the same way, we should really be thoughtful about the words that we say, really careful about the words that we say. The wisest man who ever lived in Ecclesiastes warned us of the same thing. He says in Ecclesiastes 5, 2, King Solomon said, be not rash with your mouth, Do not let, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So I believe Jesus wanted to challenge us in the words that we say, to be really mindful of that. But the second part that I really think that Jesus wanted to unpack for us is that the Gentiles, they were often, when they prayed, just saying things eloquently or nicely or fancy because they thought that if they were impressive, that would be what would cause their gods to respond. Also, they thought that the more words that they used would cause their God to really hear them. Maybe they thought of it how maybe a kid thinks about trying to get their parents to do something for them. Maybe you guys have heard it, parents, how a kid might be like, can I please have something? Like, no, please, no, please, no, please, 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 please. And they think if they say it long enough or enough times, you'll cave. And a lot of times I believe what Jesus is addressing that sometimes the Gentiles felt the same way. That, man, if I just keep going, keep going and repeating the same thing over and over, my many words will cause God to hear. 
But that's not what Jesus is trying to teach here. Instead, Jesus is saying this. He tells us to pray like this. We write this next point. He says to speak up, to direct our praises and our worship and our prayers, our conversation up. And this is the heart of it. Because you are heard, not to be heard. See, we pray because in faith we believe that our Father God hears our prayers when we pray. And that we don't pray with impressive words or many words so that we will be heard. See, this isn't about impressing God. Sometimes we may be caught up in how others pray and thinking that our prayers aren't as powerful or as impactful or as meaningful because they don't sound as nice as somebody else. Do you see right here, nothing could be further from the truth? Jesus is saying it's not about your many words or your eloquent words or your impressive words that will get God's attention. You have his attention already because you are his child as a follower of him. And and remind yourself that it's not about how much you say, thinking that if you talk long enough, God will finally hear you. Now, there are teachings later on where God teaches us to be persistent in our prayer, but what Jesus is trying to imply is how so often the non-believers, they pray to be heard. And they would use many words in order to try to be heard by God. No, what Jesus is teaching, we don't have to act and we don't have to pray in that same way. See, one great example of this was in a story in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, there was this scenario of what seemed to look like a prayer off. See, there were the prophets of Baal, a fake God. And then there was the prophet of God, Elijah. And see, these two went to battle with one another to prove to the land, to prove to the people around them who truly was God. And so the prophets of Baal and and the prophet of God decided to have a prayer off in the sense of they both made altars to their gods. And they said, let's see whose God will respond. And let's see whose God will respond first. And so the prophets of Baal, they, they set up their sacrifices, they set up their altar, and they prepared to pray to their God, Baal. And Elijah said, go ahead, you guys go start. And so they began, and we're told in the Bible that they began in the morning, and they went nearly till noon, just lifting up all these chants and all these prayers, dancing and doing all of these customary things, and nothing was happening. And then Elijah, man, Elijah was savage. He was really, he he, he said, hey guys, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you need to pray louder. Maybe you need to be more intense. And they're they like, yeah, you're right. And so they, the Bible tells us they got louder. They started screaming and yelling. They started dancing and cutting themselves and doing all sorts of things, anything to try to get their God's attention, to try to light this altar and this offering on fire. And it tells us that they went on for hours because it wasn't until midday that Elijah finally said, okay, 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 my turn. And Elijah said, hey, I, I just want to show you that this isn't just going to be some sort of sorcery or trick on my end. I want to show you that my God is, our, is the God of this world. And not only is he the God, he is above and bigger than anything that this world can ever offer. He doesn't even follow the laws of this world. Why his, what he did was this. He said, hey, he told the prophets of Baal, hey, hey, you know the altar that I set up? Why don't you guys go get some water and pour a bunch of water on this altar and the sacrifice? And, and not only that, I want you guys to get so much water that, here, this is what I want to do. I want us to build a trench around the altar. And I want you to guys keep pouring water and soak everything so much so that not only is the altar soaked with water, but then all the extra water, the, all the excess water flows into the trench and fills that up as well. 
They're like, okay, this guy's crazy. And so they did just that. And after they were done, we learn in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39, Elijah prayed. And this is his prayer. He said, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Take a look at verse 38. Then the fire... The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, it didn't take all day. Just one simple prayer. Because he knew that when he took that moment to get down on his knees and lift up his prayer, he knew that his dad would hear him. He knew his father in, in heaven would hear his prayers. So he didn't ramble on and just keep going and going and going or try to use super impressive words or special chants or sayings. He just simply asked God, hey, God, would you show up and reveal to the people what I already know, that you are God? And God responded. See, we want to make sure that our hearts are connected to what we're saying. And we also want to make sure that we truly trust. We truly trust that when we lift up our words, we don't have to be eloquent or fancy or that we have to say a lot in order to be heard. We pray in faith knowing that we are heard. Why? Because Jesus told us our Father in heaven, he knows our needs, he knows us. And so then Jesus goes on to teach us exactly how we should pray. And he gives us the model of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. I believe many of us have probably grown up hearing about this. Many of us probably have memorized this. This is also kind of known sometimes often as the disciples' prayer because this was the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples as well. And it's probably considered one of the most well-known verses, by one of the most well-known prayers of all time. And so today what I want to do is because this is the way that Jesus has taught his people and us to pray, I want to kind of pick it apart. And so would you guys read it with me? And, and, and let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And maybe some of you guys are ready to kind of spit out, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. Right? Because that, that's what I learned too when I memorized the Lord's Prayer or when I sung it at my church all those years. But I realized that it's kind of omitted here in the ESV version, the NIV version, and actually a lot of versions of the translations of the Bible. And, and I really, I try to look into why. And, and a lot of people said it's because, you know what, it's omitted from the current translations because it wasn't found in some of the earliest of manuscripts. That somewhere, somehow, it got added in there. And that's not to say that the idea of praying for your kingdom, for yours is a kingdom and power and glory forever are bad, but that just on the safe side, many translations decided not to include it because they just don't want to steer away from what the earlier manuscripts had already had, what, what, what it had. 
And so because of that, I just want to take a moment just to kind of pick apart what is presented to us here. See, what I want us to see is that the Lord's Prayer is a model, a model for us to learn not what to pray, not to repeat word for word, but instead of how to pray. Jesus gave it to us not so that we could just merely memorize it and recite it thoughtlessly, but to really consider the words of it so that we can learn from it on how we should pray. And so I believe just based upon these scriptures, this is what Jesus is teaching us here. And I want to unpack that for you a little bit more. But will you write this part down? Jesus wants us to pray like this, that we would seek, that you would seek your Father's priorities. Your Father's priorities and his provisions, not just your own wishes and wants. Now, this isn't to say that God doesn't want us to lift up our desires of our heart, but I think what he's trying to teach us here in the Lord's Prayer is that first and foremost, we should approach God and pursue his priorities, the things that matter the most to the Lord, and also then when we start there, then lift up the provisions of our life and the needs of our heart. See, if we take a closer examination of the Lord's Prayer, we'll learn a couple things. First, we learn that prayer is an invitation and a privilege, right? Because Jesus is offering us to come before God and to speak to him in a way that was totally radical at the time. For many of us, we can easily consider God our Father because that's what we've been taught. But Jesus was probably the first rabbi, the first teacher ever to actually say, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. Call upon him as our father. This was Jesus' invitation to move from religion to a relationship. To engage God as not a God that is far off and distant and unapproachable, but as a God now that we can see as our father. And I know that many, for, for many of us that might be difficult because we didn't have the greatest of relationships with our father. And we're like, hey, I don't want to see God as my father because my father was a deadbeat. My father was difficult to love. My father wasn't there for me. What, I'm, what I believe Jesus is trying to show us, though, is you know, as a perfect relationship between a father and a son— what God is trying to show us is this is the type of relationship that God does want to have with us. That even though maybe your heavenly, your heavenly father wants to be what maybe some of our earthly fathers were not. Approachable and available. There to hear our hearts and our thoughts and to provide for us. See, we want to treat prayer not as a shopping list of telling God the things that we need and for the things that we need him to do. But it's an invitation by Jesus to approach the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe, as our Father. Because it tells us right here in Matthew 6, 9, it says, our Father. He says, when you pray, start by saying, our Father. See, Jesus, the Son of the living God, he invites us and teaches us that as believers, we become God's adopted children. And so now we can address him as our Father. And I think then he continues on by teaching us things that help bring priority and perspective to our, li to our lives. You know, there are some things that happen in our life that kind of puts things into proper perspective. I know for me, it's funerals. Taking on more of the care responsibilities, I've had opportunities to do more funerals, and it's been a privilege. Part of the privilege is just walking through the grief with families and loving them and ministering to them. But the other part of it that is a privilege 
is how it sometimes puts us back in our place and reminds us of what really matters and what really counts. Because too often in life, we make the minor things the major things, right? But when we are faced with death, we realize what really truly is valuable and worthwhile and what isn't. And I believe what we do here in the Lord's Prayer is we have an opportunity to make our perspective in the right way, to put it in the right way, and to get the first things first. Because take a look in Matthew 6, it goes on to say, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea of hallowed be your name is this idea of making God's name holy, making God's name set apart, having this reverence and awe for God's name. And I think what he's trying to teach us here is as you come to your father, don't forget that this is the God of the universe and we want to make his name known. We want to set his name apart from everyone else. We want to recognize it as holy and glorious. We want people to exalt and worship this name. And so before you start asking for the things that you want, he says, start here by acknowledging the God of the universe as holy and set apart. But if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us actually do that? How many of us instead, when we jump into prayer, we're right there ready just to tell God what we need and what we want. No, I think God's saying, wait, 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 rewind. When you pray, let's start with God. Because I think when you start there, everything else will start to fall into place. Because then he goes on to say, then we pray and we ask that God's kingdom will come, that his work will be done. We seek God's work to be done, that his kingdom will be built, not ours, but his. And then we pray that God's will will be done, that his ways will be fulfilled. And if you really are honest with yourselves today, I think that we learn that this will require surrender. That one of the first things that we do when we learn from the Lord's prayer is that we need to surrender before our Father in our heaven. Father in heaven, to set our priorities and align it with his. Why? Because if we're honest with ourselves, in order for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, that means that our kingdoms sometimes need to die and our ways need to be pushed off to the side. See, I, I was taught this, especially during my season of singleness. You know, we had this great opportunity this past Wednesday to do a workshop, waiting, dating, and mating. And when we took, talked about waiting, we talked about singleness. And I shared how in my mid to late 20s, I, I started to struggle with this idea of singleness. You know, early on, I, I just assumed and, and I just thought that part of God's plan was for me to get married. I mean, who wouldn't want to get married to a decent-looking Korean guy that was a pastor and that lived at home with his parents, right? Like... So I just assumed, and so my prayers always started off with, God, give me patience. Give me, give me, give me. And then the prayer started to change as he wasn't giving it to me. And it turned into, okay, God, maybe I'm getting this. Maybe I need to seek your will and your ways. And so I said, all right, God, I get it. I need to put others first. And so instead of praying for you to just deliver me a wife, man, maybe I need to just surrender myself to you and say, God, work on me and make me a man that is worthy of one of your daughters. I thought, that sounds kind of holy. I think God will appreciate that. And so I started praying that. And still, nothing happened. It wasn't until God really just challenged me and convicted me. And he said, and I just heard God speaking, hey, James, where did you ever hear that it was my will 
and my plan for you to get married? Why do you think that is something that I should do for you? I was like, because God, that's, that's what happens. That that's what will make a happy life. Right? If I, that's the only way, I'll be complete. God was saying, but James, I, I never commanded in the Bible for everyone to get married. Jesus, my son, we can all agree that he led a perfect life and yet he wasn't married. Paul, one of the authors in the Bible, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's better not to be married. So why do you think that this is my will for you? James, what if this isn't? Are you okay with that? And I'll be honest, I was like, no, God, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. This isn't the way that I want the script to play out. But he says, hey, whose kingdom is going to be built and whose will do you want seen done? And I thought about it and I prayed about it and I said, okay, God, you know, you're right. If I'm going to truly trust you, if I really want to align my heart with yours, then my prayer needs to change from God. Give me, God, give me patience. God, make me into God, not my will, not my ways, not my kingdom being done and built, but your will, your ways, and your kingdom being done. And if that means that I'm not supposed to have a wife, okay, let me pray that. And I've got to tell you guys, that's one of the scariest prayers that I ever prayed because I knew that when I'm going to say it out loud, I'm committing it to the Lord. I said, God, if it is not your will for me to get married, let me be okay with that. Because I want what you want. And the only way that I could pray that was because I remember from verses like Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, where it says, for my thoughts, this is God. He's saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this was the only way that I could say, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to have to align my heart with yours, and I'm going to say, God, not my will, but your will being done. And so I prayed that prayer. And I'll be honest with you, for the next year or two, I really felt peace about that. That, man, if God wasn't going to send a wife my way, you know what? That's okay. I thank God that he decided to send me a wife. I'm really, 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 really thankful that that was in his plan and in his will. But I really do believe that God wanted to use that time to really challenge. Hey, James, what's more important? Your ways and your will or my kingdom and my ways and my will? I believe the Lord's prayer reminds us that we should seek first him. Seek first his glory. Seek first his work. Seek first his will. And when we do that, we do that, we, we are reminded of just how big our God is. How great he is, especially when we approach him and talk to him. But the beauty of the Lord's Prayer is also the second part. See, Jesus also reminds us and shows us that we can still approach him with the small things. Even though he's big, we can approach him with the small things in our lives, like our needs and our requests. Because he is our father and our provider. See, the next parts of the Lord's Prayer shows us how our Father desires to answer and provide with his power for us. Take a look, Matthew 6, 11 through 13. He says, so we pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, here we start off by asking God, okay, now that I have things right, now I can ask. And now I'm in a better place to just ask you to give me what I need. I don't think we could honestly pray this part of the prayer or these next few parts without 
saying and aligning our hearts in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because if you really think about it, when we ask God to give us our day, our daily bread, we're just basically asking God just to give us what we need. But if we are truly honest with ourselves, that's not really our prayer a lot of times. Oftentimes we're praying and we're asking, God, give us what will make us comfortable. Right? Because we think that's our need. Are we really going to ask God, hey, every day that I live, just give me exactly what I need, no more? I don't know about you, but I remember as a kid when my mom would say, how much is that ticket to Disneyland? I would always kind of add a little bit more just to be safe, right? And in the same way, I think when we really pray, we're not asking God for what we just need, and that's it. We're asking God, can we have a little bit more just in case, too? But here, the prayer is not saying, give me... Give me a little bit more so that I can be comfortable. It's just basically say, God, give me my daily bread. That's it. No more, no less. And I think the only way we can pray that is first by aligning our hearts with what we've prayed just before that. See, and this also, this part of the prayer reminds us that our utter dependence on God every day of our life, every moment that we live, really depends on him. I mean, if you really think about it, we're only alive because he allows us to be. At any moment, any time, God could just snap his finger and we'd be done. This part of the prayer reminds us of just that, our desperate need for him. And then we continue on and then we request, we request that our father would do the things that only he can do, like forgive us of our sins, to restore our relationship with him. But do you also notice that there is a clause in that, in that prayer when we ask for forgiveness? That we're also saying, as we forgive other people. We want God's forgiveness, but how many of us are quick to want to forgive other people? What we ask God is to forgive us as we forgive other people. Think about that prayer. Right. Many of us will ask God for forgiveness, but do we say it in such a way saying, God, I will be in cooperation with the forgiveness that you're showing me by giving it to other people? Or how many of us are quick to say that, saying, God, forgive me like I forgive other people? That's not our prayer. God, we want your forgiveness that's merciful, that's gracious, that is kind, that is unending, that is amazing. But I don't know if I want to do that to other people. Now, what if God only forgave us the way we forgave other people? And yet, that's what we're praying here. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have committed offense to us. We can't pray this on our own. We can't do that on our own. That's why we go to our God. That's why we need to align our hearts with his. And then finally, we request our Father's direction and his protection. Right? It says, lead us from temptation. And I want to kind of key in on that because we pray that prayer, but how many of us really ask God for his leadership away from temptation? See, the idea of temptation here can also be the word trials be used as well. And God has said trials are unavoidable. Like we will face trials here. But there are some trials and there are definitely some temptations that are avoidable. Yet how many of us, instead of avoiding them and steering clear of them, we ask God not for us to lead us away, but give me strength in the midst of it. Like, for example, for many young couples, they'll say, man, 
you know, can, can you ask that God will give us some power to overcome our temptation of, you know, sexual impurity with one another? And then I wonder, well, that's great that you're asking God for power to avoid, to, to, to overcome that and not commit those sins against the Lord. But how many of you guys are actually praying, will you lead me away? Lead me away from temptation. And maybe asking God, maybe that means I don't go to their house late at night. Maybe that means I don't go on a trip alone with them. I know it's regular or it's normal for the rest of the world, but I'm asking God you to lead me away from temptation, not just provide for me in the midst of it. But when avoidable, lead me. How many of us are really willing to pray that? And then finally, we ask for God's protection and his provision of delivering us from the evil one. Then we're asking God to provide us relief from condemnation and guilt and from the grasp of the enemy who seeks to destroy and to kill and to instead receive his freedom and his joy. This is the Lord's Prayer. And I hope that now, the next time you pray it, or even later on we're going to sing it, it would, you would really think about the words that you're offering up to the Lord as you lift them up. But here's the heart of the Lord's Prayer. It's to show us how to pray. And I think also, it's also an outline on how we are called to live. Because he tells us that, again, as we learn throughout these scriptures, prayer is not just a performance to impress people. Prayer is more than just what we say, but it's directing our hearts to God. He simply desires that you and I would engage in a conversation with our Father in heaven, but he also desires that we would truly mean what we say. But I think beyond that, as we'll see in the last few verses in this teaching on prayer, he really wants us to do another thing. And so will you write this next point down? I believe from God, from Jesus Christ's words here, he wants us to do this more than anything else, that we would be people who pray what you mean and live what you pray. We would be people who pray what you mean and be people who live what they pray. Because it was kind of confusing initially to read 14 and 15, knowing that this was part of Jesus' teaching on prayer. And then it made sense. I believe Jesus was reinforcing these ideas here in 14, 15 of something we prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because he didn't want us just to talk about it. He wanted us to actually live it. Take a look. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We just prayed earlier in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive. So here Jesus is saying, this is what you're saying. If you forgive, you will receive forgiveness. But if you don't, then you won't. Because the question is this, guys. How can we ask for what we won't give? Those that choose not to forgive, I don't think they really comprehend amazing grace. And the forgiveness that we have been shown by God. We have offended him. We can do nothing to be right with him, and yet he chose to forgive us and extend grace to you and I. If we understand that, if we know that, then forgiven people should forgive people. Because I think God knows better than anyone, forgiveness impacts our relationships. Impacts our relationships with God, and it impacts our relationships with others. And if we're really going to pray the Lord's Prayer and bring it to life, then we 
should be willing to live out everything that we prayed. And I think forgiveness does just that. When we forgive, when it's hard and it's, it doesn't seem to make sense, I believe we bring glory to God's name. Because when people ask, how could you do that? We point to God because that's the only way we can. And when we forgive, I believe we're doing God's work. We're bringing heaven to earth. We're choosing to live like Jesus and live like our Father. And then I believe we're doing things His way. Because our way would say, withhold forgiveness, get revenge. But His way says, no, extend grace and show love. Reflect your Father. And so I want to end with one last story of a believer that, I, that exemplifies somebody that just didn't pray these things, but really lived these things out. You know, there, there was a frail older woman in her 70s who found herself in a court, face to face with a man, one Mr. Vanderbrock. See, this man had committed unbelievable evil to this lady four years earlier he shot and killed her one and only son two years after that he came back for more he came and he kidnapped this woman's husband and for two years she didn't know what was going on what was happening only to have him come back one more time and bring her to this river and have her watch as this man and his accomplices had her husband being beaten and then have gasoline poured on him and then set on fire. She heard his very last words, which were, please forgive them. Please forgive them. And now here she was face to face in the courtroom with her son and her husband's killer. And the judge asked, what do you want done? The unbelievable atrocities that this man has committed against you and your family, I want to give you every right to share what you think should be done. So this frail old woman said, I want three things done. First, first I want to go back to the river, and I want someone to help me go and get the remains of my husband so I can give him a proper burial. Second, second, I want Mr. Vanderbrock to come and visit me once or twice a month. And when he comes, I want him to come knowing that he is my son. See, my husband and my son were the only family I had left in this world. And so I want to pour out what remaining love I have left on this man. Because third, I want this man to know that I've chosen to forgive him. And I want somebody to help me, escort me to his side so I could hug him. So that he can not only hear this, but feel it. See, I want to show him forgiveness because that is what, that is what I've received from God. So how can I not? And also because that was my husband's last request as he was being murdered. To everyone's astonishment, Mr. Vanderbrock fainted because he couldn't believe it. And then the courtroom began to break out in amazing grace. 
here was a woman that had every right to hold it against this man for everything that he had done to her and her loved ones. Yet she chose to extend forgiveness because of the forgiveness she had received. This is a woman that brought great glory to God's name, that brought, built his kingdom, brought it from heaven to earth, and did things his way. She's one that not just, she's one that really lived out the Lord's prayer. Today, I hope that you will learn as believers, you are invited to pray. And that when you pray, you don't have to pray fancy words or to perform in front of other people, that you simply have to talk to your Father in heaven. And I hope that today, you will learn from the Lord's prayer, a model of prayer. First, the importance of seeking out your Father's priorities. And then two, the privilege it is to have the God of the universe be your Father. And the invitation he's provided for us to experience community with him. And then finally, that you will see prayer is powerful, not because of the words that we say, but to the one we lift them up to. And that as our good father, he'll provide for us with his great power and his grace. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we want to see your name lifted high. God, we come before you asking that you would align our hearts with yours, that we be people that seek not our kingdoms, but your kingdom, that God, we would seek your ways and your will, not our own, and that God, we can pray these prayers. Why? Because we know that you are our Father who will provide for us. Every need we have, we know that you can meet. God, every struggle that we go through, God, you are powerful enough to provide whether it be forgiveness or deliverance. God, I pray, though, more than anything, that, God, we would be people who mean what we pray. And that, God, we would be people that also live what we pray. Thank you so much. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name.